Chris Hall here for Dogs on Demand on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all those other places that you'll find us. Good to have you along with us on our program today, and it's good to have Mark Shipper with us. Uh, Mark, uh, you probably have seen him on uh, ESPN. Uh, you can hear him on Sirius XM. Uh, he's a uh, uh, right. Let me let me read off your your resume quickly here, Mark. Writer, reporter, sports writer, photographer, editor, filmmaker. Did I leave out anything? Are we good? Where? Yeah, I want to know who wrote that for me. Is that on LinkedIn or something? <laughs> it's somewhere. I found it somewhere, and I said, "Man, this guy's impressive." Wow. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. I, I have done all those things. To what level I do those things is up for debate. Right. Well, let's talk a little bit. Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you got uh, going on. You know, I know you're, you're one of your major projects going on is writing a book about college football. And uh, we've talked a little bit about that before we got into our program. But give us a little background about Mark Shepard and uh, your your background and some of the things you've done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was uh, I was born in a college town. I was born in Iowa City, Iowa, and uh, a lot of family connections to the University of Iowa. So I, I got my college football early with the Hawkeyes, and the people I grew up with, of course, were there for the the great Hayden Fry seasons, the Big Ten titles, the bowl games, the NFL players, uh, the fun at Kinnick Stadium. So I was really kind of uh, baptized into college football from a very very young age. I grew up in Minneapolis with uh, the Gophers were the local team, but the Gophers football program was terrible. So I was uh, I was a Hawkeye in Minnesota. And uh, so being from there, grew up in Big Ten country, absorbed the Big Ten. But from from a young age, I played football starting in third grade. And from a young age, college football was the game that I really loved. I was I was fairly indifferent to the NFL. I enjoyed the football, but I loved college football. So. The SEC was important to me. The Pac-10 was important to me. The Big 8, Big 12 was important to me. And while this is a highly regional game, I really absorbed college football as a big sort of national pageant. And um, it it became something that's, that's with all the other interests and all the other things I've done, college football's always been with me. So that's kind of how I come to this from, uh, from a college football perspective. Cool. Now, now you went to UCLA and you're, you're brewing. There you go. Pac- yep, that's right. Yeah, Pac-12 is having some challenges these days, but maybe you can straighten them out. Maybe you can uh, put two cents. I rubs. do my best, Chris. They, um, I need to get the the red phone, the hotline, and uh, get to the top brass and let them know what they need to do differently. I could have, I could have maybe fixed this. Well, tell me about your your website, fifth down, uh, fifth down cfb.com. Tell me about tell me about your website. Yeah, so when I started this book project, I'm I'm doing a ton of research. I'm looking out in front of me and I've got a bookshelf full of books on college football and magazines and all the stuff I was working on. What I realized writing this book is I'm going to have a tremendous amount of research runoff. Uh almost like uh, how they say they make the hot dogs, you know, they they throw in all the leftovers and and you get a nice hot dog at the end. So Fifth Down CFB started out as kind of a place for the hot dogs. Um research runoff that I turned into articles that I was putting out onto social media and onto the internet to give people an idea what I was doing with this book project. So that website, 
You'll find a bunch of articles on college football, giving people some his, historical context on the game and how I'm trying to show that in this book. And then I ended up putting radio appearances on there. I'm I'm adding uh, videos that I've recorded on the road and published on YouTube. And so it's really, it's a place to go for some kind of uh, um, some college football stuff you probably won't see at the mainstream sites that are covering the day-to-day action of the game. It's kind of a broader historical look at college football. Yeah, it's kind of a, yeah, I mean, I love the website. It's got a lot of history to it. I was kind of interested in hearing the story of Georgia Tech uh, meeting Cumberland College, 222 to nothing. Living in Georgia, we've all yeah. heard about that. And uh, what a story that was. Of course, you know, we're a Georgia podcast uh, and uh, for uh, Dog Nation. So uh, now you're writing the book. And, and what's, uh, what is going to be the name of your book uh, that you're writing? You know, I, I don't have a title yet, but I'll, I'll tell you what, when I was doing this, when I would talk to different radio people, different uh, PR people at universities, sports information directors, I started calling it the American Odyssey because a a big part of my contention is that college football unites this country and binds its history together in a unique way. So I called it the American Odyssey because I traveled coast to coast for this book. I mean, from the old Ivy Leagues in the Northeast to the Pac-12 in the West Coast to the middle of the country to the Southeast. So I, I really covered the United States doing it. So it, it may have some some form of uh, American Odyssey with a subtitle in there somewhere, but that's kind of got a ring to it that I like at this point. I, I like it. I, I'll, I'll vote for that. I like it. Uh, do you have a date where you're uh, kind of looking for maybe uh, when the book will be available? Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping around the end of this upcoming season. So Ideally, I'd love to have it out like near the end of the regular season and kind of before the Bulls start, but it may come just after the Bulls and national title. Either way, I think the windows that I'm shooting for are when football is going to be in a transition either to the bowl games or just after the bowl game. So I'm hoping it's going to be a time when people are going to want to reflect back and get some football uh, content when football's not on TV. So that's kind of what I'm looking at. Hey, sounds good to me. Now, you, you know, uh, from your perspective, we're in dog nation, uh, you know, we're, we're at the university of Georgia, UGA football podcast. And of course, uh, sure. for the last two years, we've been a little giddy, uh, you know, you go <laughs> 40 years without a national championship and then you go back to back. And to be honest with you, you know, down here in, uh, in Georgia, we're still kind of pinching ourselves. Uh, you know, is yeah. it possible that we have won? Oh, and you know, when your football team wins, it's we, when they lose, it's they, you know, but you know, it's, is it possible that we have won back-to-back national champions, uh, championships? And then of course we kind of look up into the heavens and say, is it possible that Georgia can win three in a row? You know, it, it's, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a giddy uh, time for the uh, fans of the university of Georgia, but also there's, there's an uncertainty about it. How, how did we do what we did? You know, yeah. and can you do it again uh, from your perspective as you look on the outside, maybe looking in at the Georgia program? Uh, what is your thoughts about uh, UGA these days? Pretty amazing. I hope uh, Georgia fans are taking it for granted. I know if you're young and watching this, you're not going to assume this is how it's going to be forever. Those those years you have in your your formative years, you feel like that's how it should be, bad or good. Um, so I, I hope they're appreciating it. It's been amazing to watch my kind of my most important childhood decade was the 90s coming up with college football. And so I knew Georgia 
as it really kind of flattened out into kind of a mid-tier SEC school. They couldn't get the right coach, and they had some. They always had excellent players on the roster, at least at certain positions. But they 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 never really broke through to the next level. It kind of felt like it stayed like that with Mark Richt, although they did raise up a level. They were now competing for titles. They won an SEC title. They were near to a national title. But like you said, the 40 years, I think for a lot of people, it felt like Georgia was kind of that team that was going to be good, approaching great, but never broke through. And then all of a sudden they broke through in a huge way. And now they're the the dominant team in the country, toe-to-toe with Alabama, and people are trying to decide which has the better program. And, of course, no no coincidence that Kirby Smart came from that pro- program and brought a lot with him. Yeah. I, we, you know, we hope it continues around here. We, we really do. Uh, you know, and I, I wanted to kind of get your perspective. I think since the pandemic, you know, yeah. college football has changed so much. You know, before the the, the COVID pandemic, pandemic, we didn't know anything about an NIL deal or a transfer portal. Uh, you know, the uh, conferences were were pretty stable. You didn't have defections and additions. And, uh, you know, yeah. the playoffs were stable. You had four teams making the playoffs. Now they'll be expanding. Tell me tell me your thoughts about college football these days. And, and just it seems like in such a short amount of time, college football has drastically changed in many ways. What do you what, what do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, the the well I've called I call it a revolutionary moment and it's kind of a revolutionary era. Uh this this stuff that's happening has apparently come on fast, but it's been a long time coming. It's been building over over uh several well many decades. I would say it entered sort of the countdown phase uh after the Supreme Court decision in 1984 that freed up television where schools were free to make their own TV deals. From that point on, once they figured it out, it took seven or eight years to really get it together. But once they did that, the TV money really started escalating. The organization started escalating. The BCS came in 1998. And I think at that point, when the money in college football went to a a different level is when we started to head towards the expanded playoff and everything we're seeing now. Um, When I started this book, one of the reasons I chose to do this book now is I, I felt this earthquake coming and it was when the season shut down for the COVID pandemic. And it was actually one comment that really sparked the thing in my mind. And it was Kevin Warren up at the Big Ten when he said the Big Ten did not consider economics in making our decision to cancel the season. And I thought if Kevin Warren did not in the Big Ten did not consider economics in canceling this season, and everyone running the Big Ten should be fired yeah. because college football is a massive economic engine. It's a huge part of this sport, whether we like it or not. It has been for a long time. And when he said that, I started to think about what the 2020 COVID season was showing, which is we'll play with empty stadiums so long as the games on can be on TV. And we're going to find a way to play our season and play our postseason. I never want to see a college football season canceled. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But what I said at that point is college football is is absolutely in the entertainment business as much as it is in the campus collegiate experience business. And as a result of that, we're going to see a major change. So I kind of said the 21st century started in 2020 and we're headed into the 21st century with college football. We're, we're going to see major changes are still coming in my opinion. And uh, tell me, tell me one thing you wish, one thing you wish were were true about college football and maybe one thing you wish was not true about college football. 
Hmm, that's an interesting question. Um, one thing I wish were true. Uh, one thing I wish were true is I wish we could make bowl games outside the CFP matter like they used to. Um, I wish that was true. I wish we could halt the playoff or go back to even a pre-BCS era where he had mythical national titles and votes. Um, I wish that was true. We were still playing the old style of college football because I think once we hit 98 in the BCS, we're on an inevitable course towards what we're seeing now. Um, And then one thing I wish weren't true about college football. I I wish college football right now wasn't so top heavy. Um, I think we're playing in the most top heavy era of the game since the 1890s and early 20th century with the big three of Harvard, Yale, Princeton. I think talent has been stockpiled in one spot. I think attention has been stockpiled in one spot. And I think all of that has contributed to the situation we're finding ourselves in now with the Big Ten taking teams from the West Coast uh, for sort of economic and future-looking reasons as as much as anything else. I I think that's kind of why we're in the situation we're in now. So off the top of my head, that's what I'd say on those two. Uh, It's just it's it's college football. You know, we love the game, and uh, we love watching the game and going to the games, but you know, I, I wish it would slow down. It seems like every time you turn around, there, boom, here's something new. You know, some uh, school that's been a part of a conference forever all of a sudden decides from the West Coast to become a part of the Big Ten. I, it, it for an yeah. old guy like me, I want it to slow down a little bit. I, I love the uh, the old days. Uh, uh, tell me a little bit about your predictions for the upcoming season. Right now, you know, I know you've done a lot a lot of research. Uh, different conferences. Uh, you have a kind of a national look at college football. Uh, I, I, you know, just just bring out your crystal ball. What do you What do you think about the upcoming season? Uh, what do you think we're going to see for this season? Yeah, I, I think probably more of uh, the same. What we've seen of recent vintage. I think Alabama, Georgia, uh, in the SEC, LSU ha- has a shot at that. Brian Kelly. There are many things you can say about Brian Kelly, but one thing you can't say is that he's not a good football coach. And uh, with with what he has at LSU, I think LSU is a, a real threat. Tennessee as well could be a threat. We'll see. They, they need to do it more than once. But I think Georgia and Alabama are the cream of the crop in the SEC again. Michigan, Ohio State in the Big Ten. Penn State outside shot. I'm interested to see how Luke Fickle does at Wisconsin, if he can get that cranked up quickly. Wisconsin is always a team with potential to be really tough. And then out West, it's it's USC is, I think, has to be considered the top contender because of their coach on offense. Defense is, is the question mark with them. Washington, I think, has a very good team. I don't know if they have a great team. And then uh, Oklahoma and Texas out of the out of the Big Twelve in their final season there. So Texas being the better team than Oklahoma, and I don't know if Texas really has a playoff shot. So um, that's kind of how I see the the top tier going this year. That was off the top of my head. I may have left somebody out. Apologies to anybody if I left you out. But that's kind of those are kind of the top teams. I think. Hey, you know, TCU kind of came out of nowhere last year. You know, to. Yeah. Uh, break into the party. You see, maybe yeah. a team like that, that uh, may be poised to, it'll be a surprise. And any ideas of a team that may make that kind of step? Yeah. In, great question. Really interesting question. I haven't really looked at the, I haven't gone through the, uh, the uh, horse sheet yet and found the, the dark horse in the race yet. 
But it's a great point because there always seems to be a program that looks like they could be pretty good who finds some kind of leader at quarterback or some kind of just mojo where they win games and and really have an opportunity at the playoff. I don't have one off the top of my head, but I would never bet against that happening. Yeah, I, I, it almost happens every year, I, uh, you know, yeah. And, uh, yeah. and I think that's good. I think it's good for college football. Although, you know, TCU was overwhelmed by Georgia in the national championship game last year, for sure. And then how did how did they beat Michigan? Uh, you know, I still ask that question. How did TCU beat Michigan? But they did. And there you go. Uh, yeah, I think Michigan, Michigan beat Michigan yeah. last year. That was a uh, that was an extremely they, they made some really almost kind of fatal mistakes early in that game. It was kind of amazing. Michigan got back into it. That's how good a team Michigan was. But they. They beat themselves, in my opinion. Yeah. Tell me about your uh, favorite rivalries in college football. You're a history guy, and you've been studying college football. Uh, you know, there's some great rivalries, obviously. Georgia has them, with, you know, with uh, Florida and, uh, down in Jacksonville and uh, yeah. Tennessee and Auburn and that kind of thing. Uh, t- tell me about your favorite rivalries in uh, college football. Well, college football is made up of rivalries. In my opinion, when you're talking about the sport of college football, you're talking about the rivalries. Everything kind of falls below that when you're selling the sport, organizing the sport, trying to tell people what makes this sport interesting because rivalries are regional, they're personal, they involve proximity and history. So the book I'm writing is actually foundationed in rivalries. Uh, uh, When I went on the road in, in 2021 on the Odyssey, I talked about it was all the sports best rivalries. So, you know, out of the Pacific Northwest, Oregon, Washington, great rivalry. Not enough people know about it. Uh, UCLA, USC. I didn't use that one because I went to that game many times when I was in Southern California. I went to USC, Notre Dame, which is a fascinating intersectional rivalry. One of the only true cross-country rivalries rivalries this sport has it it's hard to get that going cranked up in college football but they got going in the 20s and it's it's held true ever since uh red river oklahoma and texas which was what makes them perfect additions to the sec uh the cocktail party if i may call it that one of the best went to that game florida state miami ohio state michigan um and a bunch of other smaller regional rivalries i grew up going to iowa iowa state and minnesota uh-huh. iowa play for the Floyd or Rosedale. Those are great. I would say, you know, it wasn't exactly your question, but if you're trying to get into college football, look for your local regional rivalry and go to that game and you will, you will get the flavor of what, what this sport's about and and why it's been so loved since 1869. And I, you know, the, of course the SEC's kind of tinkering with the schedule, you know, and uh, taking the divisions away. And we could lose some of those rivalries in the SEC, which, you know, the fans will not like, but uh, hopefully we can hang on to them. Now, you've been around. Give me your best college towns and uh, game day experiences as you've uh, traveled around the country. Yeah, you know, th- what, what I say to people always want to know, like, what what is what region is best? What region is does this or that? You know, what changes around the country is the weather. And the type of food served, yeah, the atmospheres themselves and the way college football Saturdays play out are amazingly similar. I, I think it's what makes the game so cool. It's it's a shared experience with a regional flavor. So you know, I, I love the game down south. Uh, Baton Rouge is a great place to go to a game. 
I spent some time in Athens. I didn't get to go to a game there, but I was taken on a, a long tour of the stadium. I have that up on my YouTube page for people who want to check it out. Great origin story for Sanford Stadium. I can't wait to get to Athens for a game. Uh, Tuscaloosa is an amazing atmosphere on Saturdays. Gainesville, um, South Bend. Notre Dame, if you're a college football fan and you get the opportunity to go to South Bend on an autumn Saturday, do not pass up that opportunity. Same with Ann Arbor, same with Iowa City and Kennick Stadium. Um, even get out, get out west, Husky Stadium, yeah. Otson Stadium, Oregon's home stadium. Um, even UCLA and USC, I know they love showing empty stadiums when the team's three and nine and it's a hundred degrees, but a USC UCLA game at either the Coliseum or the Rose Bowl is a sensational Saturday experience. So um get out there and try as many as you can. I, I promise you'll have a great Saturday. So tell me what is what what is your go-to uh, uh tailgating menu? My go-to tailgating, um, you know, off the grill is the best stuff. Um when <laughs> I'll tell you an interesting one I tried. You know, whenever you see like LSU Florida play, there's always a gator turning yeah. on the spit. <laughs> yeah. And um I my first game because I went to UCLA, my first game was LSU at UCLA and because it seemed inappropriate to uh barbecue a tiger, UCLA fans actually barbecued a gator. I think there are more alligators in Louisiana than Florida, so it, it, it there was a connection. And uh, they brought out this great chef at, at a local tag at a friend of mine from UCLA and they barbecued up a gator. And as far as unique experiences go, gator meat is uh, seasoned properly is actually delicious. Yeah. Tastes like chicken. It- <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a little better than chicken. And then, you know, all the classic stuff, all the ribs and the burgers and the dogs oh, yeah. and, and all that stuff on a, on a Saturday. And uh, if you imbibe a cold beer, if not a cold iced tea, whatever it is, anything out there in front of the stadium you can hear the drums hammering and uh, eating the good food it's uh it's it's the way to spend a fall saturday yeah there's nothing like it you know i'm an old uh, broadcast guy i think about the guys i grew up listening to on on television doing play-by-play in college football guys like chris shankle you know a lot of people don't remember chris shankle but i remember him and bud wilkinson and uh keith jackson and don Crickey. what a great he was and uh you know, of course, Georgia, we always think about Larry Munson and uh, then Georgia Tech, Al Serato, you know, Toe Meets Leather and things like that. Uh, sure. In your book, um, are you going to maybe talk a little bit about play-by-play guys and, uh, the you know, uh, college football on television or radio? Well, I, I will talk about the sport on TV because it's such a huge part of the college football story. You know, once once the NCAA took it over in 52 and and started their broadcast tv totally changed the trajectory of college football in in interesting ways uh you know they kind of conceded tv to the nfl in the 60s and the playoffs and the super bowl and that was when the nfl finally overtook college football and they never gave it back the ncaa was was very conservative tv and then the ncaa circled our college football i should say circled back led by georgia led by oklahoma and the college football association took TV back for itself in the eighties. And then college football went on a run with TV. They were too far behind the NFL to catch up, but it's made a massive difference in, in the, the way the game has played out. So as much as I'd like to talk about broadcasters, my experiences for the book were in the stadium. So I didn't get to hear any, but Keith Jackson was in his autumn 
when I grew up watching college football, I love Keith Jackson. Um, Brad Nestler is a guy yeah, who I loved. Um, I actually heard some some Bob Crickey and Don Trumpy Orange Bowls, I believe, in the oh, yeah. early 90s. Yeah. Those guys were great. So I love broadcasters and watching them. On, they, they can make a game a lot better just the way they describe the action. But I don't think there'll be a lot of them in the book. Yeah, I, very interesting. All right, Mark Shipper has been with us. And Mark, you're an interesting guy. Tell me about some of your appearances coming up. I, I know you're regular on ESPN. Uh, what's coming up for you? Uh, where can we catch you on the, on the tube or on the radio? Yeah, I'm not. I wouldn't call myself a regular on ESPN. I've been on Feinbaum simulcast, and uh, I'll be back on there with the book. And then SiriusXM, I, I, I appear on the SEC, the Big Ten, the Pac-12 channels over there. Um, the best way to keep up with what I'm doing is probably on my Twitter account, Fifth Down CFB. I'll announce appearances there. So, you know, radio guys, a lot of times radio guys get breaking news or some storyline and they call somebody in to talk to talk about what's going on. So I don't have a regular slot lined up right now. I'm I'm really working on the book, but whenever I go on, I I pop it on Twitter and then I usually repost it later from uh, a YouTube video. So uh, that's usually how I do it. Tell me your favorite story from college football history, right quick. Uh, What's one of your favorite stories from uh, the history of college football? Wow. Let me, there's so many great Yeah, stories. I know there's so many, maybe just uh, hone it down to maybe one or two. How about, how about, uh, how about a Georgia story? Yeah, let's do it. I, I got, there are a couple of things about Georgia that fascinate me. You're, you're great players from back in the forties. Uh, uh, Frankie Sinkwich and Charlie yeah. Trippy. Uh, they're interesting guys because they come from Ohio and Pennsylvania and Georgia went up and got them, which was a regular thing at the SEC at that time. I'm going to do a short video on that. So so maybe people, if you're interested in that story, you can catch that later. My favorite Georgia story is the Sanford Stadium founding. Um, that That's Georgia's connection to the, the hearth of college football, the birthplace. Georgia... I think the first four presidents of Georgia were Yale guys. And when Georgia really got interested in football, they were fortunate enough that Yale, who did not often play outside their rivals and almost never outside their region, it was just an Ivy League thing. They were very pompous about making people come to see them. Georgia went up four times and played Yale. They lost all four. But then Georgia decided to build a stadium in the late 1920s. And they invited Yale down for the opening. And Yale accepted I cannot emphasize how rare that was for Yale to leave the region and, and to go way down south was even more rare. So Yale gets there, they bring the band, they bring the they big the bring crowd, the big crowd. Uh they march to the stadium. They're playing uh I think they maybe played Dixie, they played a Georgia fight song. They brought the crowd with. They played a game Georgia upsets Yale. Uh Georgia's great player uh running his last name Catfish catfish uh what a vernon catfish yeah yeah. catfish hunter is the pitcher who am i thinking of yeah i remember Um, the catfish guy yeah i do i do yeah yeah cat catfish i think he scored all 15 um georgia points the guy's name is catfish smith they shut down yale's star albie booth who was a huge national star uh Dr. Sanford, who the stadium's named after, sold 30,000 tickets for three bucks each for 90,000 bucks. Here's where the story gets great. 
because my contention is college football helped reunite this country after the Civil War, and it has helped unite this country culturally ever since then. Georgia puts on a banquet. Yale, their delegation, their team go to the banquet. Georgia presents half the check, $45,000. Thanks, Yale, for coming down. The Yale delegation rises to accept it and says, we'll take expenses to come down and see you. You take our half of that check and you pay off your stadium. And that was kind of the the apex of the Yale-Georgia relationship in early college football. And it's it's one of my favorite stories because this game spread out from the East, from the Ivy League. And, and um, for Georgia to be connected directly to that very beginning of college football, I think is a, particularly for a team in the South, the South got going later than the rest of the country. I think that's a very special Georgia connection to the beginning of this this sport. Sounds like a movie to me. Sounds like we need to make a movie, you know? <laughs> I think we should. Yeah, I think we should too. All right. Well, Mark, it's so good to have you on our program today. You're an interesting guy. We'll try to have you back really, really soon, and uh, we'll talk some more uh, college football. And uh, thank you for taking time to be on our program today. And we'll be looking for your book. And uh, that, that that's exciting. We uh, you know, we, we'll be looking for that. I, I know it's going to be a great uh, product that you put a lot of work into, and we look very much forward to seeing it. So, Mark, thank you uh, for being on our program tonight. Hey, I appreciate you having me on. I, I enjoyed the conversation. Glad to come back on uh, anytime and chat with you guys. It was a lot of fun. All right. Thank you. The guy's name is Catfish Smith.